0: With Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. So, uh, how are you doing today? If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you're probably gearing up for summer. And if you live in the Southern Hemisphere, well, I guess you're laying in wood for the winter. And if you're on the equator, (laughs) well, you're probably too hot to do too much of anything. But no matter where you are on this interesting little planet, I hope that uh, life is treating you well. And uh, someone who is treating the psychedelic salon very well is Albert C., who very kindly sent in a donation this week. And uh, thank you very much, Albert. And I also want to thank all of you who have been participating in our online forums, both at our salon blog and over on our forum at thegrowreport.com. Now over there, uh, Little Elf, uh, Victoria Pandora, Max Freakout, and Lama 2 have uh, all posted a whole range of interesting thoughts, and Sancho23 uh, has done a great job of uh, starting and contributing to some very interesting threads and providing some great links. One of the threads that Sancho started has uh, really grown and is one about books that some of our fellow Saloners have found to be of interest. Hopefully, uh, somebody will compile that list in a linked format and post it on our psychedelicsalon.org blog. But until then, uh, you might want to take a look at some of the recommendations they've made. While I've read some of the uh, recommended books, there are quite a few that I haven't heard about before, and uh, now I look forward to reading. And thank you, a dime short, for uh, recommending my last book, The Spirit of the Internet. As you know, you can uh, read it online over at matrixmasters.com. And this summer I'm going to uh, set aside a little time to compile it in PDF format and post it online for you to download for free. And I don't want you to think that uh, all of the recommendations are uh, too deep for relaxing reading. For example, uh, Lars 133 recommended one of my very favorite books. And I'll bet most of our fellow saloners have uh, read and reread it many times. It's Dr. Seuss's Wonderful Story. Green Eggs and Ham, (laughs) which is also one of the great stoner books of all time, I think. But uh, before I slip back into my grandfather mode and read Dr. Seuss to you, I'd better get on with today's program, which uh, is a talk given by Dr. Timothy Leary. And uh, I'm now going through the list of Leary talks in the order they were cataloged before I received them. The tape I'm about to play was actually labeled Live from D.C., October 1990. But uh, unless my ears deceive me, uh, this isn't what was on the tape. Because Timothy makes some predictions about uh, what he thinks is going to happen in the 1980s. And uh, he also mentions the fact that they're in San Francisco. And on top of that, uh, this appears to be the second half of a radio broadcast. Maybe it was uh, the radio program that was live from D.C. ten years later. In any event, uh, here we are over 25 years later... And in my humble opinion, the good doctor's thoughts uh, still hold up today. As I just said, today's talk begins with a radio announcer saying that he was about to play part two of this lecture. And then it uh, very abruptly begins with Dr. Leary, uh, apparently in mid-thought. Now, since the first part of this talk uh, hasn't been digitized yet, I almost decided not to play it. However, uh, after previewing it, uh, I found it quite compelling because uh, its main theme is about how important it is to turn over power to the youngest among us. I, for one, uh, am all in favor of limiting power of all kinds to uh, everyone that's uh, under 30. Uh, Now, I haven't actually given this much thought, but uh, I don't see how such an arrangement could uh, have any worse results than we're now having. But I'll let you decide for yourself uh, what to think about this uh, interesting proposition, particularly uh, about what age people should be given the right to vote. Uh, I think uh, the good doctor might surprise you with this one. So uh, I hope you enjoy listening with me right now to Dr. Timothy Leary speaking to an audience in San Francisco sometime in the early 1980s. And now, part two of the Creation of the Future with Dr. Timothy Leary.
1: Adult means uh, the Finnish form. The word adolescent comes from the present participle of the same verb to grow. The adolescent is one who grows. Now, the key thing about the human species is this, that we have not uh, committed ourselves to an over-specialized adult form. Now, if you follow the logic here, it becomes very simple. The more power you give to the young of your species, the sooner you give that power to them, the faster your species is going to grow, uh, the farther your gene pool is going to move into the future, and the, uh, of course, goes without saying, the key to everything, uh, the more growth in the individuals uh, will result. Now, the amazing thing uh, about the United States and about the new uh, California culture is this, that it's definitely a youth-oriented culture. Uh, as you uh, move east, you will find uh, the countries run by older and older men. Uh, that's the way it should be, and I'm not knocking that whatsoever. But uh, America has always been the place where, it's a frontier place where uh, youth, and I would even use the word adolescence, has been um, the um, the cent- central Cultural theme. Now, Europeans really think we're nuts over here. We move around, we change, uh, nothing around us uh, in the way of architecture is more than 50 years old. Uh, we, um, we are, you know. Now, let's look at the characteristics of adolescence. The adolescent, see, the interesting thing about adolescence is sexually active, but hasn't committed to a final overspecialized adult form. So, it's obvious that if any evolution, uh, any quantum leaps are going to happen, it's best designed to happen during a period of adolescence. Now, an adolescent is generally characterized by being intense, romantic, idealistic, change able, uh, enthusiastic, loves surprise, loves to joke, uh, takes things very seriously, but then uh, jokes about them. And above all, your adolescent is horny. Now, <laughs> I cite you the case of a species which has these characteristics. Um, The the trick is to remain, to keep within a central core, a seed essence of adolescence. Now, my friends, again, I'm not advocating anything, but I'll tell you that I have tried to be an adult over 24 times. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't knock it if I hadn't tried it. (laughs) Uh, I've had a lot of fun as an adult. Um, But I knew that my basic compass uh, reading, my gyroscopic uh, uh, navigational uh, readings, told me that... uh, (laughs) So, become an adult. (laughs) Matter of fact, you can be a swell adult (laughs) if you know you're just passing through. It's a temporary gig. (laughs) Because the definition of adult, of course, is someone who is uptight and takes things seriously. So, a um, um, matter of fact, uh, you can dress up like an adult and you can go into the adult hive and uh, you can play that with more success because uh, uh, they really take it so seriously and they can't move or change, and change is the name of the, um, of the development game. Now, I want to um, uh, use these notions of neoteny and pedomorphosis and uh, uh, adolescent um, uh, commitment <coughs> to, for practical politics. My friends, there is one minority group in this country which does not have its civil rights. There's one large minority group in this country which uh, is living in total repression. Now, the reason that this large and tremendously important uh, minority group is kept uh, without the ballot, and without civil rights, the, the adults who run the hive use the same line that they've used before. They used it to the Catholic, Irish Catholics uh, in, in Ireland and England. They used it to the blacks uh, until recently in this country. They used it against women. Uh, you're not ready to adult responsibility. But step by step, each of these uh, large um, uh, uh, minority groups has uh, made its, uh, has demonstrated its interest in and its uh, readiness to take over responsibility. The obvious conclusion is that the political movement of the 80s is going to be uh, a youth movement. Why shouldn't shouldn't the voting um, age start at seven? <laughs> well, at seven they can't read Time magazine. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, uh huh. Well, at um, at at seven, uh, well, they're not married. Or what does that mean you have to be married to vote? You know, you go right down the list of all the arguments used to keep the vote away from young people, from uh, from the key segment of the population that's, that's ready to grow. And uh, you will find that uh, if you use those same criteria, you will knock out most of the of the current voters. So um, I suspect that in the 1980s, you're going to have the classic situation. Uh, uh, the key, of course, uh, to intelligence increase in this country is power to the, uh, to the individuals and power, consumer power to young people. Uh, when you, young people are, are caught on now that uh, because they have consumer power, uh, they, uh, the, the people are listening to them. Now, here, the youth movement in the, um, in the 1980s will, of course, split, as all political movements do, into a radical group. And a conservative group of young people. The conservative young people will talk uh, quietly to parents and will have uh, meetings and so forth. The radical group will do such things as, can you imagine 5,000 six-year-old kids in the Senate chambers refusing to go? (laughs) And international television watching the police ejecting (laughs) these (laughs) seven-year-olds? Well... I leave it to your imagination <laughs> the techniques which can be used by intelligent uh, young people um, asserting their uh, competence and their, uh... now, of course, it's again true that uh, we deliberately, we deliberately keep kids dumb by treating them like kids. Uh, and it's obvious and well known that um, uh, the more uh, choice and option you give to any group, uh, sure, they'll make mistakes. Sure, they'll uh, do like every uh, one of our groups have done. Uh, it'll take them some time. But uh, uh, now, here's the way I see the scenario going down. I see um, in the uh, 1980 election uh, a total defeat for the uh, the juvenile vote. Uh, by 1984, however, uh, the youth activism uh, militant terrorists nine years old putting sugar in gas tanks and god knows what they'll do to the adults uh, will lead to a backlash and to the surprise of everyone in the nineteen eighty four election ronald reagan will be elected on his program of firm but stern brat control <laughs> <laughs> after the impeachment of reagan eighty six <laughs> uh, the next election will be Tatum O'Neill versus Brooke Shields, <laughs> who are clear and classic uh, futique uh, expressions of uh, uh, the next political movement. Well, you know, talking politics in a uh, feisty town like San Francisco is always reckless. Uh, I think that one of the great things happening in this country today is a, um, a disillusion with politics. Anytime you get a highly educated, affluent, free independent, fast-moving populace, and they start not voting. You know, uh, in the last election, uh, less than a third of the voters voted. In the 1976 election, more people decided to stay home than voted for Jimmy or the other guy's name. What does that mean? It means that more people in 1976, the 200th year of our republic, decided they had more important things to do that day uh, for their own personal growth, uh, to make some money, to uh, keep their own rally going, to do something for a loved one or a friend, uh, than to go to a polling booth under the illusion that voting for Jimmy or Jerry was going to change anything. We all know that if voting for Jimmy or Jerry would change anything, it would be illegal. (laughs) Um, pardon? Yeah. Well, um, uh, we're at a moment now where um, uh, you know all the polls show that American people have no confidence in the great bureaucracies. They have these ballots. That say, 17 percent of the American people like the Democratic Party. 11 percent have any confidence in the Republican Party. 12 percent for big labor. 12 percent for big government. Matter of fact, it turns out that. Uh, Doctors and bankers at 18% are our most uh, respected institutions, because you have a 50-50 chance of getting quaaludes or, a, or cashing a check. I don't know what that means. but. <laughs> um, so, uh, at the same time that we have no confidence in the great bureaucracies which think they run our country, uh, when the American uh, public is asked the question, how much confidence do you have in yourself? and your friends and loved ones to make a a life, uh, and the the result is uh, close to 70%. A very interesting situation. Now, I think that um, the the political issues uh, in the next decade uh, should not concern themselves with... Fighting over a diminishing globe, diminishing territory, overpopulation, diminishing resources, uh, there are uh, three uh, scientific breakthroughs which are going to solve all of the economic and political uh, and territorial problems. These are I know you you know what i 'm going to say uh, space migration, intelligence increase, and life extension. Uh, now uh, now is not the time or place uh, to go into the details, the scientific hardware, off-the-shelf engineering details, which uh, would convince any open-minded San Franciscan that um, within 15 or 20 years, we could, have, uh, we could have mini-worlds. We call them high-orbital mini-Earths. We're not going to the stars. We're not going to buckle down and shoot it out, Star Wars and galactic and all that. We're simply talking about getting into high orbit. There is an ecological niche in high orbit. The Russians have been there 176 days. Our own Skylab people are up there uh, for 70-some-odd days. Uh, One thing we know about egg intelligence, one thing we know about the Gaia um, biological intelligence, she's going to fill up every niche where she can go. So no question about, is it going to happen? We're being squeezed off the planet Earth uh, the way we were squeezed from the water to the shoreline, from the shoreline to the the, um, uh, forest, up in the trees. The, the unbroken trajectory of human evolution is we get higher, we move faster, we communicate better, uh, we're better to each other, and we're getting more beautiful. <laughs> I, I didn't hear that question. Let's wait for a minute now. I, uh, I'll try to um, <laughs> see if I have answers for questions after uh, you know, after a while. Um. <laughs> uh, space migration. Yeah the The key to space migration intelligence increase and life extension is genetic. And when the time is see these things don't operate uh, separately. When it's time for us to leave the water, we had, we had to develop at one flash uh, literally hundreds of thousands of new technologies and neurotechnologies. And I want to tell you that the same dialogue, the same debate, uh, the same genetic issues and politics have been going on step by step as we move from unicellular form up to the uh, present. And I, and I think it's important that we can be able to feel in our own nervous systems that, that evolution has always involved people like us getting together as we are tonight, you know, figuring out where we came from and who's slowing us down and what are the, what's the factual evidence as to how fast and where we can move. For example, one time, the same situation we have on this planet of overpopulation, pollution, decreasing natural sources existed at the first stage of life on this planet where we were all underground. You remember that time we were all unicellular creatures? Um, now, I'm not here to knock unicellular forms of life. There are no good guys or bad guys in this scenario. Uh, The the, the unicellular form of life uh, does nothing but float and suck. It's got a one uh, dimension brain. Um, The sex life is interesting. You clone. There's one of you, and there's two of you, and there's four of you, and there's eight of you. Now, that's wonderful. Uh, Unicellular, uh, unisexual uh, division is a a fine technique used by DNA when it's time to uh, really populate a niche, and we're all going to be cloning each other uh, when the time comes to move off this planet, so I'm not knocking cloning. But uh, the problem with cloning, or unicellular uh, sex is, yeah, yes, yeah, great, because you don't have to worry about a date on Saturday night. There's no Lee Marvin suits when it's all over. <laughs> However, it gets a little boring. Yeah. So um, um, the, um, when it's time to uh, slow down a rate of growth, and when it's time for DNA to improve uh, neurotechnology, uh, then uh, you get the uh, sort of evolution that we've been through. Now, when it, listen, the amoebas didn't want that to happen. The adult authorities of the amoebas went through the same thing in the pre-cambian situations we're going through now. The uh, amoeba police said dangerous reports are coming about young amoebas hanging around shallow lagoons ingesting a dangerous drug called calcium. <laughs> calcium. The AMA, that's the Amoeba Medical Association, <laughs> has conclusively demonstrated that calcium... Uh, Causes head tail symmetry, causes bones to grow. You don't know your young amoebas have bones <laughs> and muscles. Why, some amoebas have been known to ingest this dangerous drug calcium and swim away from the home nest, never to be seen again. And uh, amoeba theologians have clearly uh, set the situation right when they say if God had intended amoebas to grow bones, she would not have made calcium illegal. <laughs> Now, I don't have to tell a sophisticated crowd like this uh, how we went from uh, calcium ingestion uh, to uh, oxygen sniffing <laughs> and up the chain of biochemical intelligence. <laughs> the whole thing is genetic. Listen, we're not going to move into space because some male macho militarists in the Pentagon or the KGB think it's time to, to move guns up there. They, <laughs> uh, sperm intelligence is great. Sperm intelligence moves out and establishes the, uh, uh, the first niches and so forth. Uh, every species, every tribe, every gene pool. Oh, at this moment, I must pay tribute to a very honored guest tonight, Robert Anton Wilson and Arlen Wilson. Stand up. Yeah. Arlen. One of the great heroes of our time. Author of uh, Illuminatus, Cosmic Trigger. <laughs> the universe next door. Um. <laughs> what should I talk about, Robert? Although oh, he wants more oxygen sniffing. <laughs> um. the, uh, the 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 um, the adult hive—it's all—it's all defined this way. The adults who run the hive naturally have to put up every barrier to change. You know, the robot program to do that. No good guys, bad guys. Uh, there are some of us who are robot programmed to uh, be what I call outcast. Every, every successful sperm egg ship has to have its, um, its uh, fo- people up there looking forward and sending back information as to where the next ecological niche is going. Because I'm ready to say it flat out. Um, they accused us of this when we left the water. They said we were cop-outs. Uh, when we went to shoreline and developed our, our fur coats and binocular vision, they said we were copping out using terrible new technology. When we stood erect, they said, you're copping out, uh, getting high that way with a backbone standing up. You know, they've been telling us, and I'll tell you right now, I admit it, it's an escape trip. <laughs> the uh, The people who know how to, you know, the the smartest, the most courageous, people that like themselves and love their loved ones, don't want to stay around and fight over the barnyard. Move out. Keep one step ahead of them. We don't have to fight them because we're smarter than they are. And we're always sending them back. We're always sending them back signals. We're always sending them back. Uh, we're doing it for them, those of us that are outcasts, that are future people. Uh, and it's our time, my friends. You know, there are times in history for centuries and nothing happens except one duke has changed by another baron and so forth. But this is a time when the outcasts and the future cast and those who... And by the way, there's no genetic thing here. Everyone in this room is carrying in his DNA and her DNA... The machinery for a building in the uh, 20th century and a 21st century and a 23rd century uh, reality. Now, sure, we're going to change uh, morphologically during that period, but the, the neurological equipment is there. That's what LSD is all about and psychedelic drugs. You're, you know, it, it may. Do you know about how the DNA operates that <laughs> when you were a little baby? Uh, you didn't know anything about disco. In fact, all you could do is lie in your mother's arms. Your calcium habit, uh, you know, got your bones to grow. But uh, <laughs> uh, the way evolution works see, the evolutionary, the, the, the DNA strand, the future of, of your life is a spool and it's protected by what are called uh, histone proteins. It's a sheath. And there are certain specific anti histone proteins, usually coming from pollution. What's pollution? Pollution is the signal to uh, peel off the next air. So that step by step, uh, as each one of us grew, a new link in the uh, histone. Um a protein uh, coverage uh, was peeled off and we started moving around. We went to first grade. Uh, we went to high school. Uh, when we got to the high school, an enormous metamorphosis took place. Sperm egg realities took over. This was all pre-programmed. Well, uh, uh, there's no reason. I think it's a very amusing hypothesis with a lot of scientific muscle behind it to suggest that everyone in this room is carrying around in the other section of your nervous system and in the unpeeled off sections of your DNA uh, a future neurotechnology. And, um, you know, it's simply more fun to have a nervous system ahead of the Dom species than I think. We have no choice about it anyway. Okay. (laughs) See, there's always what Robert Anton Wilson has called neophobia. There's this obsessive fear of the future. Uh, Back in the 60s, I went to the Hudson Institute, Herman Kahn. We had our intelligence agents penetrate the Pentagon and the KGB. Those mothers had no plan for the future except the next election, and that's rocket, uh, anti-ballistic missile. They don't care about the future. For the last 3,000 years, our hives have been run by what are called stoics. A stoic is the person that says, well, uh, the motherfucker barbarians are going to get us in a decade or two, but let's keep the thing going one more generation. How noble Kissinger is. Kissinger knows that, uh, you know, his wife is going to keep it going until we get our pension checks, baby, and then forget it, Right? (laughs) Well, we're coming, we're coming to the point where we realize that, uh, you know, the future belongs to those who see the future. The only interesting thing to do is to start building the future, because nobody knows. They don't have a clue, so that uh, those of us that uh, are here tonight can uh, begin thinking about uh, creating, and I don't mean, uh, you know, uh, better supermarkets, It's genetics. Okay, space migration, genetics. We're not going to go into space because uh, the aerospace companies uh, want us to go there. We're not going to go into space because, sure, we can bring down solar, satellite, power, energy. We can totally solve the energy problems of this planet uh, within 10 or 15 years. Of course, the Arabs don't like that. pg and he doesn't like that. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, We're not going to do this for PG&E, we're not going to do it for the Pentagon, we're not going to do it for uh, satellite communication, we're not going to do it for the acrobatic male macho astronauts. Uh, We're going to move into high orbit when the women of the Sun Belt in America realize that it's time to move, it's always been that way. The first wave is always male macho. The the um, the Greek astronauts of Homer, you know, uh, wine, dark sea, and all that stuff. They were fighting and raping in the Homeric days, but the real issue didn't come until the uh, ships went with the with the children and the grandmothers and the uh, till the big great egg ship moves. And the egg ship's going to move when it's time to move. Um, the is true in this country was uh, an interesting thing. You know, one of the greatest Genetic experiments in the history of our planet occurred in the last uh, 400 years, South America and North America. Now, South America was uh, built up, invaded and built up by men sent from Madrid and from Lisbon, speaking Spanish and Portuguese. And they didn't go over there to start new lifestyles or to uh, have a frontier of uh, growth or to have individual uh, new lifestyles developed. They went over there to get the gold, to build the cathedrals in Toledo. They went back over there to preach their religion, their uh, monotheistic religion to the natives. The key to the South American experiment was they didn't bring the women. It was not an egg of wisdom. It was a sperm adventure. And the, 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 uh, the heritage of that still exists today. Now, in the North American continent, you know, it was dissonant, dissident species groups. It was William Penn and the uh, Mrs. Penn and the Quakers who were kicked out of England. They, they were wild, hippy-dippy uh, <laughs> spiritualists. They came to Pennsylvania. Um, The Pilgrim Mothers and Fathers were out, you know, against the Church of England. They went to Holland. They were persecuted. They exiled. Uh, The history of this uh, movement westward has been, uh, uh, sure, when we came west, it was the male, macho John Wayne shooting him up and all that, but nothing happens that way. Uh, Nothing happens until um, the uh, great egg ship uh, moves westward. So uh, space migration is going to happen. It's going to happen quickly when the women understand that the best place to make love is in zero or multiple gravity. (laughs) That the uh, best place to raise children is uh, in a place where you're surrounded, you're interacting with people who share your particular vision. Because the key, and this is what they don't like about space migration, uh, the civilian aspect of it. See, the real political scandal right now is this. That in the last, what is it, five or six months, Robert, the Carter administration has for the first time instituted the military control of NASA. They're cutting down on all those civilian flights on the shuttle. Uh, about two years ago, they said that high school kids could, for a small amount of money, send up their experiment. No more of that, my friends. It's, uh, NASA's now being run by Pentagon people. I mean, that's... Um, uh, yeah, they don't want... Uh, uh, Dissidents, they don't want uh, egg wisdom uh, to uh, occupy this ecological niche. Um, Hijack a starship. (laughs) Well, when the Jefferson airplane changed its name, that was the sign it was going to (laughs) happen. Another political issue, of course, is um, uh, drugs. It's interesting. Uh, the drug issue was always there. It's the one thing that none of the politicians will talk about. I would say that, you you wonder why people are disillusioned with their government. You know, talking about Proposition 13, 35 to 45 million people are paying taxes to a government that's putting paraquat on their marijuana. (laughs) uh, The real scandal about drugs, and we've known it, everyone's, Realize that for a decade is that uh, drug research is just beginning, that there are in the laboratories and in the uh, experimental um, uh, rooms uh, in Basel, Switzerland, as well as in this country, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 scientists working, pharmacologists working, uh, developing uh, in, in, an enormous repertoire of new drugs that will make you smarter, that will give you memory, that will make you forget, that will make you horny, uh, that will, uh, that of, course, of course, the, the key. Yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if I told you this, but um, I had about three interviews on television before I came out here. <laughs> did, did I tell about uh, experimental drugs? Yeah. Oh, yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> when, I got, when I got out of prison, I, I started telling you, I didn't finish the story, I think someone interrupted. Uh, when I got out of prison, people would ask me uh, if I used any drugs, and I said I didn't use any drugs. So, remember I said that uh, there were, uh, I didn't use any drugs that were illegal? Well, now I look right in the camera and I say, yes, Barbara and I use a lot of very powerful drugs. They're new drugs, experimental drugs that will put our heads exactly in place where we want to. And who can complain because you don't know about them and they're not illegal? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a scandal that uh, our uh, government... Forget the government. It's stopping research on uh, 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 neurological and neurotransmitter drugs that can uh, give the American people the option of putting their brain exactly in the kind of area of intelligence and of mood. There's simply no excuse for any American to have his or her head where he do, or she doesn't want it to be. And this is... <laughs> I see... We all know that. We were saying that in the 60s, but now it's kind of cliché to say it. But still, it hasn't happened. You know, uh, no, 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 uh, they're not letting progress. Down. And, of course, the greatest scandal of all when you come to politics is um, life extension. Uh, Paul Siegel over in Berkeley and Sir Robert Anton Wilson, a key uh, intelligence center for longevity research. Uh, Roy Walford in UCLA. There are, are dozens, scores of uh, scientists in this country. And if you ask them this question... How long before we can get a pill that'll double the human lifespan? The answer is come back two to ten years. Um, um, how is it going to happen? This is the interesting thing. There are eight different scientific scenarios suggested by top university uh, scientists, and these are not off-the-wall people because the off-the-wall people already know it. I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about respectable hive people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Full-fledged, (laughs) ten-year cast of engineers, yeah. They'll say, two to ten years, we can have a pill that'll double your your lifespan. And how? Eight different ways. Uh, Immunology. Maybe that uh, it's our immune systems, that that maybe aging and death is simply because our cells don't recognize our own cells. Uh, Our cells don't love us that much, and they simply don't keep us immune. There's another theory that it's uh, the genetic uh, RNA, uh, DNA, uh, anti-histone uh, protein approach. Uh, Paul Siegel has been keeping rats um, more than, what, double their lifespan uh, in Berkeley uh, using uh, 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 using um, diet, which means chemicals, and amusing. I just heard, maybe, maybe you can confirm this, Robert. I was told, uh, I think Saul Kent told Jay Levy, that they got a new drug that may be the drug, <laughs> maybe the drug that will produce rejuvenation and longevity. <laughs> and it's like a first cousin of lysergic acid. <laughs> uh, well, what do you want? Controversy? You want? C- see? <laughs> yeah. You want see? I hate jokes. <laughs>
0: what? <laughs>
1: Come on, louder! <laughs> hey! <laughs> Um, I I'd like to tell you. Let I me mean, indulge me once. I've done it all for you so far. <laughs> Give me a funny story, all right? <laughs> all right? All right. Um, you know when we came to uh, when we came to Harvard in 1960, sent under assignment by uh, Galactic uh, Egg Intelligence. <laughs> the thing about Harvard is, if you're sent to a planet, um. It's all in the the navigation guidebooks they give you in Space Academy. So you take a planet like ours, and and you want to bring about an evolutionary mutational change. Uh, Where do you go? Well, you don't go to Washington. You don't go to Rome. Listen, (laughs) suppose you had one million doses of LSD, and your assignment on this planet was in five years you had to mutate the whole planet. Well, I wouldn't use those million doses in India because they gobble them up, and uh, the trains would run better. <laughs> <You know>. <laughs> <laughs> they did have uh, LSD um, in that, you know, that ergot uh, of rye uh, scandal uh, when the bread in France, <laughs> and they all began jumping out of, um, <laughs> jumping out of, uh, of the church windows. <laughs> That's pr- premature post-terrestrial activity. <laughs> the, the key to getting high is uh, that you are uh, transcending gravity. No accident. These cliches, these, clichés, these uh, uh, folk myths, now, why I say getting high? Well, th- th- that's no accident. Uh, the, uh, as I say, the trajectory of intelligence is that um, <laughs> we're getting higher. The smarter you are, the higher you want to be. <laughs> I mean, that's obvious. <laughs> um, Not, you know, not sort of going out, out, out all the time. Uh, The key to uh, neurological navigation is to be able to voyage into exactly the the circuits of your brain that you want to be, exactly when you want to be there and with whom you want to be there. um, But Anyway, when we came to Harvard in 1960, the psychotropic drugs and their effects had been known for centuries, for millennia, for thousands of years, whenever an empire got to a point when... uh, they conquered everything. There's no more barnyard, treasure games to play. Uh, then uh, the, new, the, the, the next wave comes in. If you control everything out there, if you control the army, the navy, the air force, the chariots, and all that, uh, what do you want to do? Well, inevitably, in these great empires in the past in China, the Mongol emperors in India, uh, throughout the Middle East, uh, uh, they started making inward voyages using the lo- obvious locomotion for neurological um, uh, voyaging. So that the fact that drugs could change your mind, that drugs could enhance beauty and uh, eroticism, and that uh, uh, could broaden your mind, they been known for for thousands of years. When we went to Harvard, for example, (laughs) there were over 1,500 scientific reports on LSD alone. But the problem was that uh, these reports did not tell anything about what had happened because the doctors... The psychiatrists who gave these experiments gave the drug to other people. Now, of course, it's no accident that all the LSD research that preceded our arrival at Harvard was sponsored by an organization who has made possible our being here tonight. I refer, of course, to the CIA. In the 1950s, when most of us were, uh, you know, uh, uh, listening to Elvis and Neil Sedaka and, uh, you know, and uh, <laughs> Eisenhower and whatever, uh, there was one boom of consumerism in the 50s was fantastic. You know, automobiles. Every working woman and man in the country got an automobile with a driver's seat <laughs> and accelerators and shifting gears and transmission. And Europeans said, you can't do that. You can't let the working... Man and woman have an, a self-mover, put, putting them in the driver's seat. Well, if you do that, the kids will get in the driver's seat. You know where they'll go and what they'll do. So all this 50s consumerism, there was one group of Americans who were not indulging themselves. I refer, of course, to our friends in the CIA who were sending their agents up the Amazon uh, headwaters uh, through uh, South Africa, through uh, through South Seas. There was not one root or vine or mushroom or nut or vegetable in the world they didn't bring into their laboratories to figure out how they could fuck our heads up with it. (laughs) They were going to drop it in the water supply of Russia. That was the scenario. Remember that? (laughs) Well, when we came to Harvard, there was a lot of research done, but um, it wasn't time until the 1960s when the consumerism of the 50s, uh, the average American uh, young person had an automobile, knew how to move their body around, knew their, you know, in a car. So the next step of, uh, of uh, body consumerism and brain consumerism, uh, uh, we didn't do anything. It was time for that to happen. It's always happened in times when the species is about to move out. So, um, of course... Um, the key to the 60s, is, as we see it now, was, it was a period of self-discovery, of uh, uh, self-indulgence, and a refusal to accept the adult hive uh, over-specialized models. Um, the, uh, I remember when we first came to Harvard, um, there was a man named Dr. Max Wrinkle. Has anyone here ever heard that name? yeah dr max wrinkle <laughs> was a psychiatrist at harvard that did everything in his power to cause us trouble he was writing letters and editorials in the harvard alumni association in the new england journal of medicine uh, he did his best politically to get us kicked out of harvard and so forth and uh, years later i was in um, boston and uh, i had a uh, taxi driver and as he was driving back to the airport the taxi driver uh, looked at me, he's an old fellow, about 65, an Irish, wizened-up Irishman, and he, uh, he uh, pulled the car to the side of a He said, listen, i got to talk to you. I said, yeah, what do you, you want to say, Pat? He said, do you know that I was probably the first American to ever take LSD? I said, do you tell me that, Pat? How'd that happen? He said, well, did you ever hear the name of Dr. Max Rinkle? I said, yes, the Gray Fox of the Harvard Medical School. I know him well. Because here's what Dr. Max Rinkel and the other CIA psychiatrists would do in the 1950s. They would go over to a place in Europe which, as Rome is to the Catholic and as Mecca is to the Islamic follower, this city is to the doper. I refer, of course, not to San Francisco, but to Basel, Switzerland. Now, in Basel, Switzerland, the, uh, in Switzerland, the situation is uh, you go to Zurich for money, you go to Geneva for um, diplomacy and espionage, you go to Basel for drugs. My friends, in the great laboratories of Siba Geige and Sandoz and the other Swiss companies, there are laboratories, there are storehouses, there are warehouses, there are locked rooms which contain drugs that would baffle and boggle our minds. It is said... <laughs> Rumor has it! <laughs> the legend goes like this that there are in the high valleys around Basel, Switzerland, there are alpine villages where the inhabitants have not drawn an unhallucinated breath in 500 years. <laughs> However, uh, until the 1960s, with this mass neoteny revolt of the larvals and the sexually uh, activated pre-adults, until that time, uh, drugs which changed the mind were always the province of the sultan, uh, the duke, The uh, opium aristocrats of Europe, the hashishin clubs, uh, uh, all those uh, uh, titled English poets uh, from Oxford and Cambridge who would have their laudanum and so forth. It was always uh, something that um, you didn't want the working class to know about. You didn't want the working class to know there's a way to satisfy yourself, a way to indulge yourself that didn't require trucking off to the steel mill or doing what, you know, (laughs) why? (coughs) See... The last gasp of the adult authority happened the uh, year, actually, that we started our research at Harvard. It's almost no accident the precision of how these things operate. The last gasp of the adult authority in the United States came in the inauguration of President John Kennedy in 1960 when he said, do you believe this? He said, ask not what the hive can do for you. But what you can do for the hive, 2,000 years of Judeo-Christian ethic, of suffering, Uh, you're fucked. You're not supposed to have a good time. What do you think, it's a pleasure trip? (laughs) You did something wrong. You don't know what it is, but you're cursed forever. Now, maybe if you play ball, keep cool, don't cause any trouble, work hard. Maybe we'll ship your sperm and egg supply to another place. Well the uh, the key to space migration The key to intelligent crease, which means uh, learning how to use the nervous system and learning which neurotechnologies and neurotransmitter drugs or or techniques, uh, bioelectric feedback, there are literally hundreds of techniques now (laughs) that can and are going to be used to increase our intelligence. Now, I don't mean the intelligence measured on tests by middle-class intellectuals, you know, with pen and paper. I mean intelligence in the sense of uh, getting uh, control of your own brain, uh, getting control of your own reality. and. Using the equipment that we have, the uh, the key to um, everything that I've said tonight, the key to everything that I've done throughout my life, and I'm sure this is true of almost everyone uh, in this room. Slowly, step by step, we've had to overthrow 2,000 years of this heritage that somehow we're wrong and that we're not good people and we're not lovable people, you know, so Step by step, like undoing buildings, we had to uncarpet our way through this. So that everything that we're talking about tonight has to do with basically, basically, liking yourself and taking responsibility for uh, your own situation. I know this is, there are thousands, thousands of people and hundreds of uh, teachers that are going around preaching self-actualization. And this, I mean, whatever level you want to get it, great. But I'm talking not about being... <laughs> a better middle class robot. <laughs> I'm talking about their tradition I'm talking about the tradition that we have going in this room tonight, which has gone back for thousands of years, which has probably gone back as long as history of, of, of biological species on the planet has gone, of uh, self actualized species, the self-actualized cast getting to a certain point where they say, Listen, we've got to do it. This young man that said to me, when are they going to come? Well, listen, I'm sure you, you're with me. If that UFO came down here right now with its platinum golden staircase and they came down and they said, you want to come? I'm sure I'd go, you'd go, we'd all go. <laughs> However, there's one, easy mo- uh, one uneasy thought I have. It sounds to me that the UFO higher intelligence coming down here may be just another uh, soporific uh, sedative, cargo cult, messianic theory that someone up there is going to do something for us. It may, it may turn out that the thing's been planned. Yeah, there is a species of higher intelligence that zaps around from planet to planet and comes down to make blockbusting movies. <laughs> it may. There may be... There may be one planet where people are, are running around the, the galaxy, you know, uh, turning people on and, and activating and so forth. But maybe it's us. Yeah. You know, it's my reality and I can write history the way I want to. <laughs> so as I read my own history, I see the, the way it's always been uh, in cities like San Francisco, uh, People like us getting together and hillsides and so forth, bringing us up to date as to where the thing is going. And uh, saying, well, you know, they say that um, the fruit grows on the trees and the nuts grow on the trees because we do munga bunga to the God. But maybe if we planted these seeds, we could do it. Hey, you can't do that. They'll bust your ass if you plant seeds. (laughs) Well, so we get a little ecological niche and we try it out. And sure, lo and behold, agriculture, because some intelligent, probably women, but men and women back there had the guts to go against the priesthood at the time and say it's not munga bunga up there. It's groping human intelligence, trusting, taking risks to do it. The first uh, people who used fire, you know, Prometheus, they they gave him a 30-year sentence (laughs) 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 for for discovering fire. Well, it's another male macho trick. Uh, I think fire was probably... um, Invented by uh, a woman or a man that loved a woman sitting around watching, saying, well, you know, we can take we have to wait for the lightning to come. It's not Jove up there doing it. We can use that brand. Uh, We can cook with it. Uh, We can fashion. We can be warm with it. We can keep the light going in the night. We can have parties all night in the cave. (laughs) We can make beautiful works of art with that on the walls. Yeah, took guts to do that. Greek, listen, the old uh, histories of the religions, they're not screwing around. They busted Prometheus for doing what we're doing tonight. Uh, The uh, the conquest of disease. Robert Hunter Wilson has written over and over again about our friend Simmelweiss, who was uh, busted and driven into insanity because he said that uh, you should wash your hands before you delivered a baby. Well, you weren't going to tell the AMA of Vienna, who, you know, in those days a surgeon was known because he smelled a pus. (laughs) <laughs> you weren't going to tell them they had to wash their hands like a peasant. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's a long tradition of, uh, we, listen, we don't want to run anyone's country. We don't want to take anything away from anybody. We're, uh, but uh, there is a tradition of, uh, of uh, people who have confidence. See, like, I'm personally insulted that it rains uh, on Barbara and I and we want to play tennis. What do we, incoate primitive savages? We can't control the weather. <laughs> I'm insulted to have to be down here on a one gravity planet, a swamp like a slug, uh, down here 4,000 miles, creeping around the bottom of an atmosphere well. <laughs> yeah. I'm a high flying creature. Barbara's higher than I am. <laughs> it's an insult that we. Uh, Seventy-five percent of my energy in yours goes into walking, lifting. Look at this building. It's all set up to fight gravity. Well, it's an insult to be trapped in this prison planet. Cloning. I told you DNA is going to be the big political issue in the future. Cloning. See, when we're talking about taboos, my friends, it's our professional job to lead some hive members to the door, says taboo. Say, let's peek around and look at it, huh? Yeah. Show me a taboo, and I'm interested in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, when when the scientist cast comes up with a new technology, immediately the military and the old guys around the hive take it over, and uh, they scare us. See, we're not. uh, We can't go into space. I'm not an Air Force cadet. You're not an astronaut. You know, you got to be a Pentagon kid to go into space, right? Uh-huh. Uh, same thing with genetic engineering. Genetic, g- genetic simply means that DNA has programmed us to get to a point where we're virtuous enough and intelligent enough and understand her flower intelligence. The flower kingdom is, plays a heavy-duty role in the evolution of mammalian species. I need not cite the fact that every neurotransmitter is a signal sent by the flower kingdom to these stupid animals up there, right? Right? <laughs> So we get to DNA taboo. That's the heaviest two of all. Because that's the place where we are, uh, are we? Are we going to tamper with a genetic spool that says that we have to die 75? That after 45, you have to get menopausal and vote for Regan? <laughs> uh, DNA is a program that when, when the time is ready, uh, All the signals are coming in, overpopulation, uh, pollution, um, swarming. Swarming is the key to the next move. We get to the point where we say, yeah, we're virtuous enough and we're intelligent enough, working together openly, not in secret, to clone ourselves. Now, I love myself. I love Barbara and I love my friends. We're going to clone ourselves. We're going to send out rockets, little ones, small ones out there, because um, I think uh, any planet would be better off having us there. <laughs> now, if we're wrong and our seeds land on the planet, they look at it and they say, well, good God, here's another 60s acid-head messianic person thinking he's going to see, oh, well, if that's not supposed to be, that's the way it's going to be. But uh, um, did that happen to us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when, I, when I go to the more naive eastern provinces, you know, kind of interesting, uh, they don't know, most of those kids were in junior high school, grammar school, in the 60s, and I, they don't know who I am. They think the 60s, a uh, bunch of uh, naughty kids throwing rocks, I mean, you know. <laughs> and uh, they're confused about what's all that. I say, well, the, uh, you've heard a lot of images and a lot of stories about me and this and that. So, Well, the true, the true facts of the matter are this, that... Um, Back in 1960, Harvard University, our crack team was working on some neurogenetic experiments. The experiments succeeded, and I was cloned. <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> Twelve after ten? Thank you. Oh, my love, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're going to a party at Bimbo's now. I thank you uh, and wish you all... Good night. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time.
0: I really love this talk, uh, I have to admit it. When he said that uh, he believed that the voting age should be lowered to seven, (laughs) I really cracked up. Finally, I understood why uh, the old white men who run this country thought that uh, Timothy Leary was the most dangerous man alive. And he had a great sense of humor as well. Uh, So far, I guess I I have to vote for Terrence McKenna as the most serious and well-spoken from a philosophical point of view. But Dr. Leary sure is a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, Even though his message is quite serious, his good-humored Irish nature still comes through after all this time. Of course, uh, his prediction of having high-orbiting mini-worlds in 15 to 20 years wasn't very close to the mark. And I'm afraid that uh, even in the long term, we aren't going to see human migration off this planet. Hey, uh, we evolved here. We evolved to live here. if we want to live somewhere else, we're going to have to evolve a new type of human. And uh, to begin with, what they are going to have to be able to live with for many, many years in a small craft... uh, before they can even get to their new home, well, uh, it's an incredibly long shot migrating off this planet. It seems to me that uh, the more intelligent option is to look to moving our cities under the ocean. Since the uh, landmass of this planet is going to be barren of all forms of life uh, for millions of years before uh, the sun burns out, we can uh, certainly extend our stay on this planet by a significant amount of time if we go under the ocean. And even if you think that long-term planning on that kind of a scale is foolish, well, it doesn't change the fact that the technical problems associated with building under-ocean cities are significantly less challenging than uh, building cities on distant planets. I happened to be in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on the day that humans first walked on the moon, and uh, the deep ocean research group that I was attached to at the time had uh, as its motto... The ocean's bottom is more interesting than the moon's behind. And I still believe that. In fact, uh, I find it incredible that we already know more about the backside of the moon than we do about 90% of our own oceans. You know, it's, uh, it's a matter of priorities. Unfortunately, it seems that uh, right now the main priority our leaders have is to kill people and take their oil. What a what a strange place this is, huh? I feel like a stranger in a strange land. Well, getting back to uh, Dr. Leary's talk just now, his uh, prediction about a pill that can extend one's lifespan uh, may not be so far off the mark. Not a a pill that will double your lifespan uh, right now, at least. uh, But there is some significant research underway that is investigating the uh, use of nanotechnology in delivering uh, medicines that can extend cell life. Uh, Word on the street, of course, is that if we can uh, stay alive for another 20 years or so, there's at least a 50-50 chance we'll have a way to uh, add another 40 or 50 years to our lives. Of course, uh, that raises all kinds of problems. I'm not really sure I want to live another 40 years, uh, particularly if it means that I have to go back to work in the world of giant corporations once again in order to feed myself. I guess we'll just have to uh, burn that bridge when we come to it, uh, to twist a turn of a phrase a bit. But I do have to uh, confess to having uh, taken the temporary adult path that Timothy just mentioned. You know, the one where uh, you can have a lot of fun as an adult as long as you realize that uh, you're just passing through. Of course, uh, now that I'm back in adolescence, I uh, can't remember for the life of me why in the world I wanted to pretend to be an adult for all those years. Uh, people kept wanting me to make a decision and find a career, but uh, I just seemed to to find it all too boring to stick with a single profession for very long, so I never had what the headhunters call a career path. However, I sure did have a lot of fun for a while. Now, uh, let's see what else I wanted to cover here. Uh, I remember. It's a film titled Tryptosane which is about a journey to the world inside your mind. I may have mentioned this before, but uh, it was done by a fellow slawner, uh, Sid 333. Uh, I'm sorry, Sid, I haven't uh, had a chance to look up your name as director on the film, but uh, recently uh, Sid posted a link to a scene from the film, and he calls this scene Shroom Airlines. And you can find the link and more information about what appears to me to be a very informative and entertaining film, In the uh, comments section under a post titled, The Forbidden Fruit of My Passions, Uh, you might want to check it out if you have the time. One last thing I want to mention is something I was uh, supposed to announce last week, or I guess maybe a week before that or so. uh, But fortunately, uh, a dime short uh, noted it almost two weeks ago on our forum over at thegrowreport.com. And uh, that is the good news that there is now a feature story in the May 16th, 2008 issue of Discover Magazine. And it uh, features several people we've heard from here in the salon, uh, most prominently Dr. Charlie Grobe. The article uh, is online now, and uh, so I'll also post a link to it with the uh, program notes for this podcast. Now, as always, I'll close this podcast by saying that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are available for your use under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 3.0 License. And if you have any questions about that, just click the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage at psychedelicsalon.org, which is uh, where you can also find the program notes for these podcasts.